Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Will Ospreay vacates the IWGP World Heavyweight title due to injury, a huge wave of WWE NXT releases, and on the 10-year anniversary of Macho Man Randy Savage's death, I talk about his life in the controversial documentary on A&E. I'm Jaden Becker, and welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast. Will Ospreay vacates the IWGP World Heavyweight title. New Japan Pro Wrestling announced today that Ospreay suffered a neck injury back on May 4th and will be returning to the UK for treatment and a rehab of the injury. There's no timetable for Ospreay's return, so the title has been vacated. New Japan Pro Wrestling noted that further announcements on the status of the IWGP World Heavyweight title will be made on a future date. He won the title from Kota Ibushi back on April 4th at the Sakura Genesis 2021 event, making him the second person to hold the IWGP World Heavyweight title. Get well soon, Osprey. Definitely thinking about you and hoping for the best, because given that uh, this was his time at the top for New Japan and uh, uh, obviously not going to be back at the top uh, for quite some time given this injury. A huge wave of WWE NXT releases. Yesterday we saw plenty of names be released. Most notable out of the group, NXT official Drake Wirtz was released. Drake in recent months found himself wrapped up in controversy due to his political beliefs and now he uh, brought that to work as well. Uh, Fightful Select has reported that Wirtz had, quote, nuclear heat brought on by himself, noting that this has been going on for the better part of a year. Ezra Judge, who was also released from the company, almost felt the need to get physical with Drake, that's in quotes there by Fightful, stating that, quote, minorities within NXT took exception to the way things were being awarded by Wirtz. Drake Wirtz, two races for the WWE, that's that's my input there, uh, which is saying a lot given all that we saw with Hogan in years back and a plethora of other examples. I say this because racism should never be tolerated in any workplace, ever. So, uh, for finally WWE to make this recognition and to finally let him go, along with a couple others, uh, definitely... If at any time it's a well-deserved firing, Drake Wirtz is a well-deserved firing. Jasmine Duke, Vanessa Bourne, Skylar Story, Ezra Judge, Alexander Wolfe, Kavita Devi, and another NXT official, Jake Clemens, were all released yesterday. Uh, Most of these names may be outside of Wolfe. Isn't a surprise given uh, most of these talents haven't been uh, appeared on television in over a year. So uh, it makes sense. It's not like uh, we're seeing Andrade be uh, released or something like that. You know, someone top, top, top level talent that's about to go off and face Omega. No, it's nothing like that. These are just talents in the performance center that definitely had potential just never worked out and in, in such a low level that uh, it is what it is you know best of luck going forward but uh, once again it is what it is Fox pushing for the WWE to return to live crowds according to the extremely reputable wrestle votes on Twitter Fox wants WWE to be on the same level as the MLB and the NBA and others so uh, have been pushing the updates on a time frame for crowds returning to uh, events for the past few weeks wrestle votes also reminds us that Fox has a billion dollar investment for the rights to SmackDown, so rightfully Fox feeling this way. They, they had the rightful feelings in this situation, uh, given the fact that there's a lot of money involved, and uh, having fans back in attendance definitely would help Fox and the WWE, and a lot of other people as well. I'm right there with Fox, uh, praying to announce to you that the WWE is making their return to touring, because I sure want to have my booty in a seat uh, sometime soon. That would be absolutely fantastic. 
We're going to get right into our show review for last night's AEW Dynamite, but first let us thank our sponsor, Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. They assess over their technology developments to provide you the best tools for your grooming experience. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Manscaped has created the best ball hair trimmer ever, the Lawnmower 4.0. Their fourth-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. I now feel confident shaving my boys. We have an exclusive offer for my listeners, 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. That is FANSIDED20, all caps, at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. Let's get into last night's AEW Dynamite. Starting off, uh, opening the show, Christian Cage versus Matt Seidel. A technical matchup early on as both are trading uh, control. Uh, Seidel using his speed and high flying to his advantage. And a few close near falls for Seidel. I write close there in all caps in my notes because it almost was a three count. Uh, busted lip for Cage, but it doesn't stop him from hitting the kill switch to pick up the win. I kind of can't wait for Cage to get destroyed. I'm sorry for sounding mean there. Uh, I It's not that I don't like Christian Cage. I just feel like it's just not really credible this early for him to be picking up these crazy victories like how he picked up a win over Powerhouse Hobbs, picked up a win over Matt Seidel and uh, Frankie Kazarian to make his debut. I guess that makes sense given all his time in, in TNA and those stories there. But uh, everything else, uh, it just I feel like it's not super duper credible for Christian Cage at his age and what he's doing now to be picking up all these big wins. And uh, it kind of makes me scratch my head. It kind of makes you scratch, scratch my head just a little bit. I can't wait for him to get his kick, get his teeth kicked in, but not in a bad way, in a way where uh, he finally gets beat by someone that now is going to take the reins going forward. But it would be nice to see, but I don't think we're going to see that anytime soon. And I sure do not want to see him with the AEW championship, at least not taking off of Kenny Omega. If he's the one to do that for AEW, my, my head will explode. Ricky Starks enters as a distraction for Team Taz to attack Cage and Matt Seidel. Hangman Adam Page enters to save, but fails as he is pow- uh, powerbombed by Brian Cage, and it should be a fun match that they're going to have that double or nothing, uh, Brian Cage, uh, Heyman, and Page, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see it going forward, uh, it definitely should be a fun one. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley taking on the Acclaimed, and of course when you have the Acclaimed coming out, they're going to have their uh, diss track or their their rap coming down to the ring, uh, at least Max Caster is, and uh, the couple of the disses here, Eddie Kingston looks like a box of Newports, and John Moxley's wife is in their DMs for some, quote, oral sessions, and no, this is not, it, obviously it's a sexual innu- innuendo, but oral sessions is the name of, of Renee uh, Paquette. I believe that's her. That's her real name. Uh, that that's the name of her podcast. That's the name of her show that she does, and it's called Oral Sessions. And yes, does it lead to obviously some sexual innuendo? I get it. Uh, the bars were off. The actual rapping of the 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 music over the over the beat it was a little off. But the disses were strong. Like this is probably the biggest diss I've heard in a long long time for uh caster and and he's getting good man he's getting real real good and some people compare it to the john cena gimmick from back in the day i think it's it's better because uh, i'm not saying that caster's better than cena but i'm saying the actual physical raps are better than cena's because they go right digging deep and like real stuff man uh he even brought up the, i think it was last week on uh well, it might have been two weeks ago on aw 
bringing up the Dark Side of the Ring stuff uh, for Brian Pillman Jr., which I was like, Ugh. <laughs> you know, I get the heebie-jeebies when talking about death and everything like that. So anytime someone pokes in that direction, it's kind of it rubs me the wrong way. But uh, I think everything else is kind of fair game. But death kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. Uh, the Acclaim gain control after uh, Moxley and Kingston just go ballistic early on in the match. Uh, just uh, honestly biting. I think they bit Caster early on in the match. But the Acclaim are able to gain control. Moxley in on a hot tag, but he can't get the pinfall. Caster throws Bowens uh, a chain, but the ref was distracted. Uh, Moxley still able to take advantage in hitting Bones with the boombox. Moxley and Kingston pick up the win. You know, fun tag team between uh Kingston and Moxley, but I'm not sure if they're ready, if they're AEW ready, I should say, for the AEW tag team titles, because I know that is going to be coming soon, and we'll see. I'll talk about them more at the end of, the, of, of this review. Ethan Page and Scorpio Sky in-ring interview. Sky says Sting has changed since he was a, a child, uh, warning uh, to warning Sting to step aside, excuse me. Uh, Page says that he is the reason why Allen lost at uh, TNT uh Two weeks ago. Oh, was that last week? I think it was last week. And uh, everything is such a blur at this point with with the AEW because Blood and Guts, it was Blood and Guts, and then it was a TNT uh, championship, and now it was this week with AEW and the the World Tag Team titles. I got to keep this in order in my mind here. Uh, Sting enters, and uh, Allen joins on an attack on Paige and Sky. The Dark Order look to join in, but Paige and Sky run away from any more damage. So Paige and Scorpio Sky definitely have a lot on their back, uh, but it should be fun, especially Ethan Paige getting a lot of work here, especially since his move from uh, Impact. Uh, Pinnacle out to dinner in this next segment. Uh, it can't be uh, the Pinnacle without Jericho in the way, says MJF. Sean Spears beats up uh, a waiter. And uh, I'll give my aunts on who I think is going to win between the Pinnacle and uh, Inner Circle in the coming weeks because I think it's pretty close at the moment. I'm not sure really where Jericho's kind of standing on because if the Inner Circle's over, I think the Jericho uh, being such a full-timer might be over as well. Uh, I could also argue that as well, given how much money he's getting paid by AEW in his contract. But at the same time, I'm not sure how much longer Jericho wants to go. It's been 30 years. I'm not saying this is the end of Jericho's career in pro wrestling, but I'm saying that this might be the end of him being as full-time as he is, usually on Dynamite every week. In our next match, Akaru Shida versus Rebel with Britt Baker DMD. Shida puts on a glove and goes for the lockjaw, but Baker grabs the AEW Women's Championship, thus obviously distracting Shida. Shida then uh, with is attacked by a crutch by Rebel with the referee distracted. Rebel can't capitalize, however, as Shida locks in the stretch muffler submission. Baker attacks Shida and stands tall after the match. Uh, Baker at double or nothing is my early prediction, but we'll see next week after the go-home show. Omega talks to Ca- Orange Cassidy. I almost called call him Cassidy Orange. Omega talks to Orange Cassidy and uh, calls Cassidy the mascot of AEW. When you think about it, yeah, you're probably right. He's probably the mascot of AEW. Who is the mascot of the WWE at the moment? The mascot back in the day, and I guess you could sort of say now, is Rey Mysterio. I think Rey Mysterio still holds that honor, even though it's, I'm not saying Orange Cassidy's bad, but Rey Mysterio is, is one of the greatest, if not the greatest, masked wrestler of all time. I think it might, even might be fair to just straight out say that Rey Mysterio is the greatest masked wrestler of all time. So, uh, also, with the merchandising stuff with that mask, 
I think that mascot idea sort of continues, but not in a bad light, because seeing Orange Cassidy as the mascot of AEW isn't a bad thing either. You know, that honestly saying that, who the mascot of AEW is, who the mascot of whatever is, is who's getting the most money from merchandise sales. And I think that might be coming from Orange Cassidy. Cassidy rips apart a paper to have a match uh, at a later date instead of Double or Nothing. He wants to have that match at Double or Nothing. Omega says that, he can kill Orange Cassidy if he really wanted to, uh, but Cassidy gets uh, his match and his time in the sun at Double or Nothing. He's not going to win at Double or Nothing, I'm not saying that, but he'll have his time in the sun, he'll have his moment. It's just a shame that it's not a one-on-one match with Kenny Omega and that he has to share the spotlight with Pac. Nothing against Pac either, I think he's a fantastic talent, but Pac has already had his one-on-one with Omega prior to the AEW Championship I would like to see Cassidy to have his one-on-one with Omega, given that all he's done for the past few years with uh, AEW. Definitely well-deserved well of a one-on-one title shot against Omega. The Inner Circle uh, have their response for the Pinnacle. Uh, Sammy Guevara, pretty weak on the microphone. I've said that for a long time. Uh, ne- never going to deny his bumping, never going to deny his uh, in-ring talent. Uh, obviously, his out-of-the-ring stuff was unacceptable back then, but uh, I think uh, as a community, everyone has gotten past it in some light. Uh, Guevara, I will continue to say he's not as strong on the microphone as at least compared to Jericho, but Jericho's also slipping as well. Don't, don't attack me for saying that. But all the members of the Inner Circle say that they want to accept. Jericho, not sure if Blood and Guts was worth it, and uh, I'm not sure if it was worth it either for, for any of those people in that match, to be honest with you, given uh, how it was portrayed after. Uh, Jericho feels both physical and even worse emotional pain after that match. And he tries to get over this line here saying, was it worth it? Was it worth it? The phrase of the day for Chris Jericho, which uh, is very metaphorical of what could uh, mean more here. And when I say that, it was, you know, he put his life on the line. Not his life, but he put on a, a pretty brutal match uh, for AEW blood and guts, and everybody bled, everybody had uh, big spots, everyone was cut up, everyone was beat up. Was it worth it to have that big of a match and to have that tough of a match for such a poor crowd reaction and such a poor ending? Uh, Was it worth it to go through all of it uh, for such a mediocre, sad ending to it, given the crash mat and everything like that? Uh, And Jericho even tries to play it up as well, saying that his head was, if it was pushed any harder, it was a couple feet away from hitting the stage and could have busted him and his back of his head open and everything like that. Jericho goes to defense a lot for that blood and guts match, and deservingly so, given that it was a good match. It's just, you know, when you see Jericho digging at his wrist to grab the razor blade, and with him pretty much waving the razor blade around as he's uh, being put in a submission hold on top of the blood and guts cell, it's not a good look, Jericho. It's not a good look. So and, and a couple times with the razor blades are on the mat and everything like that. Uh, was it worth it to have that type of match? And uh, yes, it is worth it to have that type of match at that time. But was it worth it given how it was portrayed after? I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure about that. They accept the Pinnacles Challenge for Double or Nothing to have a Stadium Stampede match. I believe the Stadium Stampede match last year between the Elite and the Inner Circle was also at Double or Nothing. So... Fun correlation there. They're dubbing it a Stadium Stampede 2, and I still can't tell you a winner for that yet. I'm probably going to... I'll give you my winner during my predictions uh, episode of the Daily DDT Podcast for Double or Nothing, but I can't give you a prediction right now because I genuinely don't know. Next match and our classic 9 o'clock women's match for 
AEW Red Velvet versus Serena Deeb. At least they're not at 920 anymore. They used to be at 920. Now they're on at 9 all the time. The women's match is just it's a pattern that needs to be broken. Uh, you know, open the show, main event the show. Last time they made an evented uh, a women's match for AEW it was probably one of the best matches of the year between uh, Britt Baker and uh, Thunder Rosa, where, where Britt Baker, even though coming out losing that match, she bled so heavily, she almost ended up as the victor of that match in the eyes of myself and a lot of fans. But here, a 9 o'clock match. That still is a championship match. Yeah, I will say I'm not going to knock that. Red Velvet versus Serena Deeb for the NWA Women's Championship. Welcome back, Serena Deeb. Uh, Fast-paced match early on with Deeb, uh, strong early as well. Velvet with a nice moonsault to the outside. Almost it gets a victory with a near fall back in the ring, but uh, just a quick kicked out, kick out there by Serena Deeb at the last possible second. Uh, Deeb playing a little dirty here with a chop block to the back of the knee of Velvet. Deeb retains with the serenity lock. Deeb a little uh, heelish there, a little heelish there. That I don't think a lot of people expected for it to happen uh, so fast on her return, but if any time, if it is going to happen, it's going to be back on the return. And it's just a glimmer there. It's just a glimmer there. Not too much. Not saying, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bad guy now I'm, I'm a heel but just saying oh, I, I'm willing to do whatever it takes to win and even if that is playing a little bit dirty with a chop block to the back of the knee a nice uh, nice look there Austin Gunn with Cody Rhodes and Arn Anderson taking on Anthony Agogo with the factory Rhodes draped in the U.S. flag as he makes his entrance with Austin Gunn. Gunn jumps the bell and goes right for a go-go, but a strong right drops Gunn right to the mat. Go-go accidentally bleeding, uh, and it's, uh, actually was not, uh, as, as I write in my notes here, Gunn was the one bleeding in this one. He was bleeding from his mouth, and a go-go just had it on his body. So I thought, while writing my notes here, Gogo was the one bleeding, and that's how much blood it was. Uh, a Gunn was the one bleeding from his mouth. Agogo lifts Gunn in the air and then knocks him out on his way down. The America versus Britain type of stuff for Rhodes and Agogo, I guess it's kind of cool, but I think this is just a way to make sure Cody Rhodes is on the card for Double or Nothing, and Cody Rhodes is going to be on the card for every pay-per-view going forward. You know, we're going to see Cody Rhodes go through every wrestling trope and every wrestling gimmick, every wrestling match setup for these next few years, given that he can't go for the AEW World Championship uh, in a stipulation that was set back in the beginning of AEW. We're going to see him go through every trope, every gimmick, every match, stipulation, everything. We've, we've seen a ton already. We've seen with uh, Cody Rhodes with the stuff that he did with Brody Lee, the stuff that he recently did with Penta, the stuff that he is doing now in this America versus Britain type gimmick. So it, 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 I guess it's going to be fun because we're going to get a good tour of uh, 1970s, 1980s uh, wrestling tropes uh, in the present day with Cody Rhodes being the headmaster of it. But at the same time, uh, you could sort of also take it with a grain of salt, given that now it's just a way to make sure Cody Rhodes gets on air. And deservedly so. I'm not going to knock him for it. You know, it's his kind of is his company. He needs to be on television. But uh, it's just, it's going to be fun going through the tour of 1970s, 1980s uh, wrestling tropes from uh, the Midwest and in Japan. Miro cuts a promo. The belt looks great on him, by the way. The TNT Championship just fits, per fits perfect around his waist. And dare I say, he's the best man uh, to ever uh, to, to ever make that belt look really, really nice. Let's talk about the black one, not the, the, the red one. I'm not sure how well that would look. But the red one, obviously, is synonymous with, uh, with uh, Brody Lee, of course. And uh, thank God 
says Miro. Miro thanking God uh, for making him such a beast and making him such a uh, powerful force. Uh, the crowd starts chanting, we want Darby, we want Darby. And Miro does the perfect move, holds up the belt and says, here's your Darby right here as he holds up the TNT Championship because it's a great representation of, of both. The, he is the TNT Champion and there's also a signification of that I beat him and here he is. I'm, I'm pretty much holding him up in the air. So that that was great. Lance Archer enters and wants a title opportunity at Double or Nothing. Uh, Miro says not enough yoga in the world will save Jake Roberts if he d- decides to get involved. But it will be Miro versus Lance Archer at Double or Nothing. Miro obviously going to be the victor there. Moving on to our main event, Varsity Bonds versus the Young Bucks for the AEW World Tag Team Championships. Uh, early on in the night, the Varsity Bonds and Byron Pillman cut a promo. And uh, Pillman saying that uh, he... His, I want to make sure I get this right here. His father was the reason why he stayed away from pro wrestling for so long because all he knew about pro wrestling was the dark side of the ring. Now, a lot of people on Twitter love that promo, and I kind of did too because it did obviously walk that line. It's just This is just a personal perspective here. Death, as I said earlier in this podcast, death for me kind of gives me the heebie-jeebies. I don't really like talking about death too much. I don't really like when it's brought into professional wrestling storylines because death affects, it's more than pro wrestling death. You know, it's a physical death of someone. It affects a family. It affects loved ones. It affects children. It affects everybody, right? So for that to be brought into this whole mix, yes, obviously it makes perfect storyline sense. And then Brian Pillman Jr. is at the top of the world right now because of the Dark Side of the Ring documentary that came out about his father and how genuine he was in that documentary. I'm going to go into documentaries in the second half of this podcast. But I, I felt like I popped, but I also cringed at the same time. Only because, me personally, death kind of gives me that heebie-jeebie type feeling. But let's get into the match. Uh, it was a fun build-up, and he's getting an AEW World Tag Team title shot, along with Griff Garrison, which is awesome. Don Callis on commentary for this one, of course, given uh, the elite connection. Uh, the blondes are hot early on, even taunting the Young Bucks as uh, the match gets underway. Young Bucks with a fun walking the top rope spot. Pillman getting the majority of the work in this match, and uh, rightfully so, uh, given that this is sort of his uh, time to shine uh, at this moment for AEW. Julia Hart alerts ref of uh, the canister in the ring uh, being sprayed into the eyes of Garrison and uh, Brian Pillman. And then she gets sprayed in the eyes herself, which I thought was absolutely hilarious and a fun spot because you know, that, that's something that a heel should be doing. They should be attacking, obviously not physically attacking a female manager, but spraying them in the eyes. I don't think that's a problem there. Pillman Jr. taps out of the sharpshooter and the Young Bucks retain. Awesome to see Pillman Jr. go from losing matches on MLW to being in the main event of AEW Dynamite going for the uh, AEW World Tag Team titles. That's a big leap. That's a big, big leap since February. So <laughs> since when I started started this podcast, and even earlier than that, I remember uh, Pillman uh, working in late 2020, and uh, he did some uh, Warrior Wrestling stuff in Chicago back in the, over the summer. So he's gone a long way in, in quite a short amount of time. So good for him. Good for uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Moxley and Kingston enter and brawl with the Young Bucks. A double chokehold from the uh, 
Kingston and Moxley uh, passing out the Young Bucks. Kingston and Moxley steal the shoes of the Young Bucks, the DR1s, the thousands and thousands of dollars shoes that the Young Bucks decide to wear down to the ring. And uh, actually wrestling. Match set for double or nothing. And glad it's not Moxley versus Omega because after their death match, as I said, they shouldn't even be looking at each other for the next five years. And nonetheless, attacking each other uh, given they had a death match. They shouldn't really be doing any more death matches or any, any more matches with each other because the death match is the end. You know, it's death. <laughs> this is supposed to be over there. But I'm also glad Callus is involved and the Young Bucks are still involved as well because it's still the elite connection uh, given how that death match ended. Uh, not sure, it, and I said this earlier, not sure if Moxley and Kingston are worthy at the moment. Not sure if they're ready. Well, yes, if they put the belts on them right now, the AW tag team, World Tag Team titles right now, would people be excited? Sure, people would love it. People would absolutely love it because people love Kingston and people love Moxley. But how AEW books things and how they've been booking things for a long time, you sort of have to earn it. You sort of have to go through two, three individual storylines before you get to hold the championship. Look at Omega. Omega could have held the bell right away. He could have done it in two seconds, right? But no, he had to sort of run through a couple storylines before he got that championship, you know? Uh, same thing with uh, Brody Lee, I think was a good example as well. He had to go through John Moxley and the AEW world title picture and then uh, the Dark Order title uh, uh, movement and the Dark Order uh, faction building before he had a chance at Cody Rhodes, finally getting that chance against Cody Rhodes and then squashing Cody Rhodes, making it so impressive. You have to go through a little bit first before you actually get to hold the titles. If the, obviously this would be breaking the pattern for AEW if they give it to Moxley and Kingston, and if any time they're gonna do it, I guess it's gonna be these two because they're just white hot right now, Moxley and Kingston, and especially Kingston. I love him, and that just might be my New Yorker coming out. But either way, I feel like it might be that if if this is WWE, they'll get it. They sh, they would have had it already, you know. But in the AEW's eyes, when someone's AEW worthy for a championship title reign. Uh, it takes a little bit of time, and uh, I think for, for them as a tag team, it's going to take a little bit of time, uh, at least maybe not until the next pay-per-view or uh, the next big AW Dynamite. Maybe possibly they'll do it and give it to them on the August, uh, when, when AEW Rampage comes out, that first episode of Rampage, they'll do it for them then, you know? I feel like that would be a smarter move uh, or a more familiar move that we've seen from AEW than doing it right now at Double or Nothing. For a show grade for AEW Dynamite for last night's episode, I'm going with a solid B. Uh, a lot of matches and some stuff that turned me the wrong way. Maybe not intentionally. Uh, obviously not intentionally, but maybe it just might be a me thing, especially with a lot of the death stuff and the dark side of the ring things and everything like that. I, it, I think it should be appreciated because they are calling back to that and they are harping back to that. Uh, I just also feel like things are moving a little bit too fast for some people. Christian Cage is moving a little bit too fast. Eddie Kingston and John Moxley is moving a little too fast for AEW's pace. And uh, things are becoming a little bit uh, predictable in AEW, it seems, especially with uh, Britt Baker and Okada Shida and how all that is most likely going to turn out. So... We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, some On This Day in Pro Wrestling History. Going to be talking about the death of Macho Man Randy Savage and his career. Also going to be talking about the controversial documentary to come out on A&E about the life of Macho Man Randy Savage as well. Everything about that and how uh, some things were slightly portrayed incorrectly and how I have a big, big problem with that. So stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. 
On this day in pro wrestling history, on May 20th, 1987, a Memphis court judge rules in favor of Jerry Lawler against a WWF. Lawler sued the WWF for promoting Harley Race as the, quote, the king of, of wrestling at the recent Memphis event. Lawler alleged that WWF used the moniker long associated with Lawler confused wrestling fans in the area. As the result, Race could not use the king of wrestling gimmick at WWF events in Tennessee. Lawler would end up working for the WWE in 1992 and a lot of people tied the connection between Lawler and the WWE to this court case and Vince uh, wanted to bring him in after the fact. On May 20th, 2011, Macho Man Randy Savage passed away in a car crash after suffering a sudden heart attack at the age of 58. One of the greatest of all time as Macho Man accomplished all that you could have in the world of professional wrestling and was loved dearly and respected. Macho Man was an intercontinental champion. Macho Man was a part of the Mega Powers with Hulk Hogan, multi-time multi WrestleMania star and putting on some fantastic matches, also a WrestleMania main eventer. He was a WWE champion. He also spent some time with WCW and TNA. Also considered one of the greatest promos of all time with his raspy voice and over-the-top gimmick and his over-the-top clothes as well that uh, he used to wear uh, during his promos and everything like that. It's his crazy top hat, his glasses, the jackets, the suits, the, the I wouldn't even call them suits. They were just like painted uh, the over jackets and painted pants and everything like that, making him look larger than life. Uh, if you have a chance, go back and watch his matches versus Ric Flair at WrestleMania, his match versus Rick of the Dragon Steamboat at WrestleMania 3, one of the greatest matches of all time. His match versus Hulk Hogan, I believe that was at WrestleMania 5 when the Mega Power split up. All classics, all classics. For the past few weeks, WWE has been promoting the A&E biographical documentary series uh, on A&E, and, and some of the uh, WWE stars, some of the greatest of all time. They've been doing documentaries. The first one was on Stone Cold. The next one was on Roddy Roddy Piper. And then they did one on Macho Man Randy Savage. A lot of fans are upset given that Macho Man was vilified in this documentary when uh, Stone Cold and Roddy Roddy Piper were honored. Uh, not that they, they believe that Stone Cold or Piper should have been vilified uh, themselves, but the fact that Macho Man was singled out, they felt, uh, and I feel after watching that documentary, that Macho Man wasn't given a fair shake uh, in his uh, how he was portrayed. Uh, they were talking about his relationship with Gorgeous George uh, during his time with WCW, uh, him pooping his pants at the gym, his rap career, and obviously these sound like terrible things, obviously all true things that did happen, but it, there was no reason for this to be... Why do the, the worst moments of someone's life have to be in their documentary where Stone Cold and Roddy Roddy Piper obviously both themselves having terrible moments in their lives as well? Uh, why don't they get that same shake from A&E? And why was Macho Man the one to get that, that, that bad side, that bad rep? Dark Side of the Ring documentaries, I've been talking about them a lot because I think they're some of the greatest content out there uh, in the world of sport, not even just in the world of sports entertainment or in the world of professional wrestling. I think anyone, anyone that watches it, whether you're a baseball fan, basketball fan, a professional wrestling fan, a football fan, whatever, uh, you're going to get something out of these documentaries, uh, especially from the Dark Side of the Ring stuff because it, there's a lot to learn and a lot to understand about the world of professional wrestling that an outsider might not. Uh, the Dark Side of the Ring documentaries did a great job, in my opinion, when talking about the life of Macho Man and his relationship with uh, Miss Elizabeth. Uh, talking about that relationship, and and they got there was really no backlash that really came from it because it was all true and it was all 
put in a light where, yes, Macho Man didn't look great, but it also looked like, well, that was who he was. It, it, the the main difference between the Dark Side of the Ring documentary and the A&E biography was that the A&E biography took a deep dive into Macho Man's life as a whole, not just Miss Elizabeth and his relationship with her. Uh, obviously, to tell that story uh, in the Dark Side of the Ring, you still had to take a deep dive in his life, but they went a lot more after the fact uh, when things started to really go off the deep end for Macho Man Randy Savage, where it, th- this documentary is not really, it's, it's about the wrestler. It's not really about the man, which sort of rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. Even though they're telling, I guess you can call it the truth, and telling what really happened, uh, I feel like they did it in a light that vilified him in a pattern that wasn't really shown when they were doing it with the Stone Cold and when they were, did the documentary about Roddy Roddy Piper as well. The a documentary also just got a lot of things wrong as a whole. Bruce Pitchard was wrong about living in Germany at the rise of Hitler, uh, which was just straight up wrong, That talking about Macho Man's family and Macho Man's parents. The genuine uh, portrayal of Gorgeous George uh, when she was just trying to chuck every penny out of Macho Man uh, during uh, her relationship with him. Uh, the story about Lynn, his wife, when uh, he passed away, uh, was portrayed incorrectly about how they met. Also, just small facts here and there. Macho Man, according to uh, uh, Larry Poffo, his brother, uh, never slept in a car. They always slept in hotels. They don't know where that came from. All the money he spent on clothes and outfits were tax deductible, even though it did come out of his pocket. It wasn't like he was going broke buying all this clothes and all these uh, crazy attire for his ring gear and his persona. A lot of it was tax deductible, so let's let that be rec- recognized. Larry Poffo... Uh, Randy's brother said in a quote, uh, this is his his words here, quote, as mentioned before, I feel 75% of the A&E documentary episode on my brother Randy Savage was portrayed fairly, 20% unfairly, and 5% horribly. But let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. 75% of this episode was great. He also goes on, goes on and says, uh, how come they didn't mention one thing about Randy's activity with the Special Olympics, Make-A-Wish, uh, Children's Cancer, Jerry Lewis uh, Telethon, a March of Dimes, Underprivileged Children, everything else he did. That's not newsworthy. None of that matters. Do you just want to dig for the dirt? And uh, when, when you sensationalize something like A&E has, and when you make it something so bigger than life in the way, obviously, Macho Man was bigger than life, but when you, when you take those bad moments and make it as if those were the epitome of his whole life his bad moments uh, it really it doesn't do service to the man who macho man randy savage was and if anybody knows me i love good journalism i respect it and i hope that if that's one thing you can gain and know about this podcast the daily ddt podcast is that i try to be as journalistic and correct as humanly possible when it comes to the news when i go on twitter and i see something completely wrong or false regarding real news about a person's career status or rumors i want to rip my eyeballs out and throw my phone against the wall especially if that um, account or if that person speaking is uh, supposedly reputable or supposedly uh, someone with a lot of followers or someone that has a lot of uh, attraction in the internet wrestling community, it just hurts my soul because I'm doing my best here to give uh, the best possible news that I can give to you, the listener, what I, the real news is in professional wrestling and not the dirt sheets and not all the rumor mills and who said what on whose podcast and who thinks is who is the best in pro wrestling right now. I can care less about that. Then look at the news that I did today for you. Well, Osprey vacates the IWGP World Heavyweight title due to injury, a legitimate injury that uh, changes a company's perspective, uh, a wave of NXT releases that are all legitimate and people losing their jobs, and the return of fans possibly to uh, 
live crowds, I think that's huge for everybody as well. And those are all real news. Not one uh, of those news pieces say there, oh, uh, so-and-so, retired old hag, thinks that this guy is the worst in professional wrestling right now. I'm never going to do a news piece about that because that's not news. So, uh, And that, that to me is dirt. That's dirt. That's not real news. So uh, that's one thing I hope you try and gain from this podcast. And uh, with looking back on the life of Macho Man Randy Savage, obviously that documentary not doing a great job portraying him as a whole. But I think one thing that does do a great job portraying him from a pro wrestling perspective, there's a YouTube clip out there that the WWE, I think, made themselves. Uh, where It was six interview clips from Macho Man Randy Savage, and it tells a full story from him holding the Intercontinental Championship and to him losing it to uh, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat at WrestleMania three and his promo after the fact. Uh, and all six promos were absolutely fantastic. And also his relationship with Miss Elizabeth was also kind of involved there as well. Uh, every piece sort of all came together in those six interviews. If you have a chance, go check it out. It's on YouTube. You'll be able to find it. Uh, if you just search up Macho Man Randy Savage WWE promos and it should be there. It's, it's like six interview clips made by the WWE. I think it's under their YouTube. So uh, honor, honoring the life of Macho Man Randy Savage, one of the greatest of all time. I have his purple uh, t-shirt in my closet that I wear often because it's one of the greatest professional wrestling t-shirts of all time as well looking on to our next episode impact wrestling tonight finjuice uh, will take on ace austin and madman fulton as finjuice defends their impact world tag team championships kira hogan versus neil dashwood rohit raju versus jake something and on uh, bti jake swinger and hernandez take on triple xl should be a fun episode of impact that's all for me. Remember to get 20% off plus free shipping with the code FANSIDE20 at manscaped.com. That is FANSIDE20, all caps, at manscaped.com. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at dailyddt.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.